Our Lord and our God, now as we hear your word, fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts so we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds so we may discern your truth. Shape our wills that we may desire your ways. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. As we've heard already this morning, it's Jesus Christ who is the firstborn over all creation. That it was through him and for him that all things were made. More than that, in the fullness of deity, he came to live among us. That we might come to fullness in him. That he might make peace with us and God by the blood of his cross and bring us home again. And since we have already died with Jesus to sin, since we've already risen to new life in him as well, we are now to put on the clothes of Christ to seek the things that are above, where Christ is, where our lives are hidden with him. Last week, we talked about how this work begins at home, in the most basic relationships of our lives. But it's not going to end there. At some point, we must go out into the world. We're not meant to be an enclave, a retreat, lest the world taint us. So what does it look like when the new life of Jesus we are called to put on goes out into the world? Well, Paul says it will fall into two categories, prayer and witness. But to get to that, we have to hear what he actually says. So as we open our Bibles together again this morning to continue to make our way through this letter to the Colossians, I want to invite you to take a moment to get ready and to do whatever you have to to listen well. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well that God will open to us a door for the gospel, for the word, that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, if you want to keep your Bible open to follow along as we look back at it a few different times this morning. The new life in Christ we are called to put on as we make our way out into the world Paul says, looks like prayer and witness. It begins, though, in prayer. And before we go any further, I want you to just notice that. It begins in prayer. It doesn't begin rolling up our sleeves in order to get dirty. It begins on our knees before the one through whom and for whom we were made. Jesus, Paul said earlier in Colossians, is the head of the church. He is the one who has first place over everything. So if anything is going to happen anywhere, Jesus is going to be in the middle of it. Everything 
begins with prayer. Throughout the church's history, anything that has been of any worth has begun in the work of prayer. And so as we too set our hearts on prayer while this new life goes out into the world, let's look at how Paul says these prayers should look. There are three things he says our prayers should be. And the first is that they should be constant. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. That could say keeping watch in it as well. Be devoted, pray constantly and continually. At the beginning of the letter, Paul spoke about his prayers for the Colossians, and he says he prays constantly without ceasing for them. And so Paul now calls them to the same unceasing prayer. He says as much in another one of his letters, pray without ceasing. Truth is that God actually wants us to pray with unceasing perseverance. That our prayers, our constant prayers, are not somehow annoying for God as they come again and again and again. But God wants us to be coming constantly with unceasing perseverance before God in prayer. Our prayers as Christians should be as natural as our breathing, in and out and in and out. Our first instinct throughout our day, no matter what happens, should be prayer. Keep alert, Paul says. Be watchful. Keep prayer at the forefront of our minds, no matter what comes in the day, in order to carry it before God. You probably know someone in your life who is constant in their prayers. And there are a few of you that have been a blessing to me for the way in which you come first and always to prayer, no matter what is happening. But to get like that, you don't just have to be naturally a better sort of Christian. It takes practice. So here are two practices to grow in your constant prayer. The first is called breathing prayer. It's passed down to us from monastic communities from millennia, and it's a short prayer that they developed in order to be faithful to Paul's call to pray without ceasing. And that prayer goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, every time you inhale, inhaling God in all God's fullness and exhaling, have mercy on me, a sinner offering your life again to God and God's grace and mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And in practicing praying this with your breathing over and over and over and over again, it becomes as unconscious as breathing. And prayer becomes a constant part of your life. Or perhaps consider taking on a practice, a habit, of praying three times a day. Kneel, morning, noon, and night. First thing in the morning before grabbing your phone, kneel and pray to offer the day that is to come to God. Sometime around your lunch hour, kneel in prayer to offer everything that's already happened and everything you know is going to happen that afternoon and evening again to God. In the evening, maybe it's when you get off of work or home from school, maybe it's before you go to bed, kneel again to offer everything that's happened that day to God, to give thanks for what you need to give thanks for, to offer to God your work that remains unfinished, and to go to sleep to lay yourself into the arms of God. 
who will be gracious and faithful to wake you again in the morning. Three times a day, as you take on a practice like this, you will find you're growing more and more in your consciousness of God, keeping watchful and alert, praying over and over again for all that comes in your day. Our prayers, Paul says, should be constant. Second thing Paul says our prayers should be is thankful. Paul began the letter with prayers of deep gratitude to God for all God was doing among the Colossians. And he wants that same habit to be a part of our prayer lives. Be thankful. So often our prayers become simply a laundriness list of things we need from God. We pray only when things are going wrong or when they're tough or when we need help. Now, God wants you to pray in those times. God wants you to lift those things up. Anything that you need, anything that's going on, God wants you to bring before God. But Paul also wants us to make sure to practice gratitude in our praying. Marking with gratitude the answers to prayer we have received all the blessings that fill our lives. This gratitude, though, needs to be cultivated. I found out recently that Pastor Jim, who was the senior pastor before me, when he was working with couples preparing for marriage, used to have them spend a whole month before their wedding, every single day, writing out something that they were grateful for in the other person. Something they did, something about them, whatever it was, something different each day that they were grateful for. A tedious practice, it probably seems, and yet, how beautiful in the way in which it would grow your gratitude to learn to appreciate and see the gift of this other person. Because naturally, we focus far too much of our energy on what's wrong, on what we still need, and on all those negatives. Our prayer life, too, naturally becomes about looking in and what we need. But developing gratitude is the way that we begin to look outward and upward to God in our prayers. Pray with gratitude, Paul says. And the Psalms that are to be our training ground for prayer are filled with examples of just this. Thanksgiving, especially in times of need, especially in times of grief and in times of lament. Whatever the circumstances, offer thanks to God because God is still God and God is still faithful. Our prayers should be constant, they should be thankful, and they should be, Paul says, for the church. Paul began his letter praying for the Colossians. He ends it now calling the Colossians and asking them to pray for him. Pray, he says, that God will open a door for the, to us a door for the word that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. While Paul is writing these words, he's in prison. And yet, he's not praying that the doors to his prison cell would be opened, but that doors for the word may be opened to him. We don't know where Paul is in prison at this moment, but a lot of people think he was probably in Rome. In those two years he spent there under house arrest, under constant guard by soldiers before being executed. And in Philippians 1, we catch a little bit of a glimpse behind and what's going on at those moments as he's in prison. There he wrote this to the church in Philippi. 
Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me, that is being in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, because they're the ones guarding him, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Though Paul is in prison, he's praying for doors to be opened for the word, for the mystery that is Christ in us, the hope of glory, that they may be revealed more and more to the world around us. And those prayers aren't just for Paul. He says, pray for us, for the fellow workers of the gospel that are with Paul at the moment. For Paul gave thanks at the beginning of the letter that the gospel continued to go out to the ends of the earth even though he was in prison. And now Paul invites the Colossians and us too to pray that this may continue, that workers may be granted to go out and gather in the harvest. That We too are to pray, to pray for the church, universal, throughout the world and across time, that doors may be opened for the word. We're to pray for this church, for its ministries and its witness in this community, for the missionaries we support around the world, a couple of whom we've gotten to meet this summer and again build relationships with, to pray for me, your pastor. Bellringer article I wrote this summer was about prayer and encouragement and how important and needed it is. We need desperately to be in prayer for one another, that doors may be opened for the word to be proclaimed, for the mystery of Christ to be revealed. Because if anything's going to happen, it's going to happen because of prayer. And so we need to continue to pray as the Colossians did, that doors would be opened, that the mystery of Christ would be announced, and that when we announce it, we may do so clearly and compellingly. As we put on the new life of Christ in the world, prayer is the beginning of everything of worth. So pray constantly, pray with thanksgiving, and pray for the church and its witness. But that work doesn't end in prayer. It continues on as witness. We're called to be witnesses, not just me, not just other religious professionals and staff members of churches and, and Christian organizations, all of us. Our common vocation as Christians is witness. And it's a vocation that's meant to be a joy. Too often as we talk about witnessing, it becomes a commandment, a necessity, something we must do. Go and be witnesses. Evangelize your neighbors. Talk about Jesus, darn it. But if you look back at the book of Acts, which is the chronicles of the early church and its spread, those first Christians who went to the ends of the earth to talk about Jesus didn't do it because they were commanded to. They did it as an overflowing of joy because they couldn't not go. Leslie Newbigin was a, a British missionary to India who, when he retired and came back to the UK, found that the church there was just as much, and the, the culture there was just as much in need of missionaries. And so uh, his life's work and theology is really a call to the church to recognize its missionary calling. He wrote this, he said, Mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. 
the news that the rejected, crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? The mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is more like the fallout from a vast explosion, a radioactive fallout which is not lethal, but life-giving. We're called to witness. And Paul has some thoughts about what that witness is to look like as well. Again, three more ideas. You're getting two three-point sermons today. Aren't you excited? Aren't you glad you didn't go away for Labor Day weekend? Two for the price of one. Our witness, Paul says, begins in living wisely. Verse 5, if you still have your Bibles open, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders. We're to live with wisdom. And wisdom means to live rightly. But how do you discover what living rightly means? There are so many different versions of the good life, so many different visions of what it is to live well. How do we know what true wisdom is? Well, if you've been with us through Colossians, you know Paul's been praying all along, over and over again, that we may grow in all the wisdom of Christ. That we may not practice those things that merely have an appearance of wisdom, but only seek to continue to satisfy ourselves, but that we would learn to put on Jesus. Living with wisdom is learning to live like Christ is learning how to live in this upside-down kingdom that Christ has inaugurated among us, is learning this different way of being where the first are last and the last are first, where in surrendering and giving away we receive, where in submitting one is glorified, where in giving away we get back. Flannery O'Connor has this great quote I've already used once this summer. She says, You shall know the truth, And the truth shall make you odd. As we come to know Jesus, as we come to live within this upside-down kingdom, our lives become strange to the world around us as we learn the truth of what is so. And it's those very strange lives that are meant to be our witness to the world around us. That doesn't work, though, if our lives look exactly like the lives of our secular neighbors. If we haven't yet taken up the narrow way of discipleship. If our faith hasn't led us to live any differently, then our neighbors are right to ask what good any of this may be for them. If it makes no difference in the way we live, then they have better things to do on a Sunday morning, and probably so do we better ways to spend our money and our time. And if our lives haven't been changed by the gospel, then we need to maybe ask, why not? Have we truly come to follow him? Or do we show up merely to receive the cheap grace of forgiveness and so to go back to our old lives for another week, to the same habits and practices as our neighbors, to the same fears to the same goals, to the same desires and loves. Our witness begins as a lived witness in practicing what we preach, in enacting the ways of the kingdom of God, putting on the garments of Christ. 
but it doesn't end there. Paul also tells us to make the most of the time. Other translations say every opportunity. Time, not like hands going around a clock, but moments, opportunities. One commentator said this means to accept each day what God gives with joy and thanksgiving and not to idle away the time given you. We tend to think we have lots of time, but there's plenty of time. And so we put off the important and maybe difficult conversations with family members and friends and neighbors who aren't Christians, hoping that they may just pick up from our lives something about Jesus. That by watching us and knowing we're Christians, maybe it'll rub off eventually and they'll just sort of pick it up. But that's not making the most of every opportunity. We must see that opportunities come and go every single day. In 2014, Sam and I got to spend five weeks walking the Camino de Santiago in Spain. And about the beginning of our last week, we had a day where we just hiked uphill the whole day for like 30 kilometers. At the top was a village called Osibrero, which is perched on a ridge because from there it goes downhill all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. And from the top, you have a 360-degree view of everything. It's absolutely beautiful. We had a wonderful night there with friends. Early that morning, we woke up with one of them to hike further up the mountain to watch the sunrise. We made our way then down that morning. We sang together and stopped an hour or two in, as was our custom, to have some coffee and some food at a little cafe. As we sat at the bar there, there was one other person with us. So we got to know her a little bit. She was a young woman, a few years younger than us, from Israel. And as we talked, eventually things came around to religion. She found out we were Christians, that we worked at a church together. She shared that she was culturally and ethnically Jewish, but not practicing. She had one friend in particular who was very conservative and very active. She was actually about to move out to one of the settlements. She said she just didn't really get it. She said she sort of knew the bullet points, too, about Jesus, but she didn't really know the story. And the conversation turned to something else. and We eventually needed to keep on our way to make it where we wanted to make it that night and said goodbye. It was about a quarter mile down the road that we sort of looked at each other and just said, what happened? Did we just miss one of the best opportunities we've ever been handed? Was that the slowest BP fastball down the heart of the plate I have ever just watched go by? What happened? And we took a moment and prayed for her, that God would continue to hunt after her, that maybe something we had said or done would be part of that journey to coming to know Christ. And we prayed, too, that we would come to see her again, most of the time, you end up running into the same people over and over again as you're walking along the same path day after day. But we never saw her again. And we will never see her again. We did not make the most of the time. We did not make the most of that opportunity because our heads were not in the game. Don't make that mistake. Make the most of every opportunity as witnesses of Jesus Christ. Our witness begins with living wisely. 
We are to make the most of every opportunity. And Paul's last piece of advice is to be ready to answer well. When you finally do speak, Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. We've all heard of or probably seen, maybe even experienced, callous and coercive attempts to share the gospel. Don't do that. Be gracious. But that also doesn't mean be nice. Don't offend anyone. Better not to ruffle any feathers or rock the boat. He says, be gracious. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, which was traditional wisdom in Judaism at that time and in the Greek world around them, to choose the right words. That this wisdom that was to guide our lives that we may live well was also to be applied to our speaking. We may choose with wisdom the words we use, that they may be compelling and fitting for that moment and that person and that conversation. Now, while Jesus does tell his apostles not to worry about what they'll say when they're dragged into courts because the Spirit will speak through them, this doesn't just happen. We need to continue to be learning in order to be ready. A Sunday school faith won't be enough when we need to answer the questions of those around us that arise from our strange Christian lives. We need to know what it is we believe, who Christ is. We need to know the questions they may have. 1 Peter 3 says, Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that's in you. And interestingly, almost all the proclamations of the gospel throughout the book of Acts are in response to questions asked by those outside the church. They're not rehearsed or planned evangelism events. They're not prepared speeches by trained experts. They're spirit-empowered testimonies to the life-changing power of God in Jesus that are offered impromptu when asked questions like, who are you people? Why are you doing that? Why are you different? Who is this Jesus? Be ready to answer well. Because if we are truly following Jesus, the questions will come. So don't miss the opportunity. Living this new life of Jesus out in the world is about prayer and about witness. Prayer that is constant, that is thankful, that is offered on behalf of the church and its ministry in the world. Witness that begins with a life lived like Jesus, that makes the most of every opportunity to point back to Christ, who is our life, and is always ready to answer anyone well. And friends, this isn't what we do because we're Christians. This is what the new life of Jesus looks like. This is what we look like when we've put on the garments of Christ, when we seek the things that are above where Christ is. Our speech and our lives are transformed in joy to be prayer and witness as we seek to do everything in word or in deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.
pray. Lord, as we seek to live after you well, to follow in your ways, to seek you and your kingdom, continue, O Lord, by your Spirit to open our hearts to you in prayer and to those around us in witness. Continue, O Lord, to call forth our prayer and our praise constantly. Grow within us a spirit of gratitude. For our witness too, Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to follow after you, that you would grow within us all knowledge and understanding, that we may live well, that we may make the most of every opportunity in courage and love that comes only from you, and that we may answer well and eloquently with words given to us by the Spirit. Lord, use us and our lives that this world may be transformed, that more and more may come to see and experience your kingdom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.